Hello, and welcome to another episode of Balanced Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Austin Cavelli is a board-certified, nationally accredited physician's assistant, focused on using the carnivore diet to help people reduce inflammation, get lean, and improve their health. She has treated thousands of patients with acute and chronic inflammatory diseases, including various autoimmune conditions. She takes an approach of food quality and bioindividuality to help her patients. Born and raised in Syracuse, New York, Austin earned her bachelor's degree in psychobiology from Binghamton University. While studying, she was elected into several honor societies, including Sigma Alpha Lambda, the National Honor and Merit Scholar Society, and the National Society for Leadership and Success. In 2014, Austin graduated from Wheel Cornell Graduate School of Medical Sciences with a physician's assistant certificate, as well as a master's degree in physician assistant studies. You can check out her website at qualitycarnivore.com and on social media at Quality Carnivore. Austin Cavelli, what an honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on here and speak with you today. It's just such an honor to host you, primarily not just because we get to talk about meat and the carnivore diet, which I love, but we get to talk to somebody who has a dream of starting a grass-fed steakhouse and barbecue pit. Uh, That's amazing. (laughs) Yes, they don't exist. And uh, I am obviously, as my name um, alludes to, I'm very interested in quality. I think it's very important when it comes to food, um, getting away from processed uh, food, of course, but then even taking it a step further and, and really focusing on grass fed and finished. And trust me, I lived in uh, Manhattan for 10 years and there is not a grass fed, grass finished steakhouse that exists. Argentinian steakhouses are probably the closest um, that you can come to it, but uh, a, a fully grass fed, grass finished um, steakhouse or barbecue joint. I've tried them all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome. I think I'm taking the same approach that our mutual friend, uh, Scott Mislinski, who hosts the Carnivore Cast, um, the the approach that he took on his podcast was basically using it to leverage an invite to your uh, barbecue pit house and steakhouse. So I'm kind of doing the same, hoping that one day you'll return, (laughs) return the favor and give me an invite to go eat some amazing high quality meat. Absolutely. You most definitely will be invited. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, You do a lot of really interesting work. Um, I really am a huge fan of your blog and you put out a blog post that I would really, really like to talk about. Um, It was all about intermittent fasting and, and, not just the pros. I think we talk so much about the pros of intermittent fasting. We're certainly huge fans of intermittent fasting, but also talking about the cons. And I really want to deep dive into that with you. I think it's such an interesting topic. Before we do though, I would really like to hear your story and how you started to get interested in nutrition and how you wanted to um, serve other people through that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you know, I'm a physician assistant and um, I was working in uh, a hospital system that um, it really, um, the focus was inflammatory disease. However, there was no focus on lifestyle. So um, I was uh, trained as a surgical PA and we were treating um, patients who had uh, inflammatory diseases, particularly arthritis of various different kinds. And, you know, arthritis is an inflammatory condition. However, diet was never focused on, you know, movement, what they were doing every day. It was just that they had pain and um, they were quickly signed up for surgery in order to treat that pain. And I think looking at lifestyle is so, so important. So I myself have always been interested um, in health. That's why I went into medicine and helping other people um, and even in my own health. So, you know, reducing inflammation and um, 
even prior to being a PA was something I worked on in myself. I was on a ketogenic approach for several years, and then I turned to um, carnivore. And I wanted to be able to bring that to other people. And unfortunately, in the medical system that we have, that is not the focus. Um, and it's it's very difficult to cross that line. Um, in fact, they discourage it uh, as a physician assistant. So I I kind of got out of the hospital system and am now helping people coaching them one-on-one. I think my medical background helps uh, in addition to just having done it myself. I mean, you can only learn so much from a book, uh, but actually having that experience myself, I think is also beneficial for others. Mm. And for the listener, can you just tell them like a typical physician's assistant, how much training in nutrition would they expect to receive through school? Yeah, so we had one course um, on nutrition, uh, and it, honestly, I think more learning about the lab work was more useful in in the sense of what I do right now, uh, because I was trained to interpret labs and um, be able to correlate those with different diagnoses. So that is definitely helpful for people who are struggling with disease. Um, but nutrition itself, yeah, I've it's been a lot of um, self-teaching. And I've also um, worked under low-carb and ketogenic physicians who have, um, have also uh, trained me in a more clinical setting um, outside of the hospital. So, yeah, it's, it's been years and years of training. But uh, it is, you know, as far as the traditional training, uh, very, very little in, in PA school. Yeah. Let's jump back to the time that you switched, you know, from learning about the ketogenic diet to the carnivore diet. How did you learn about the carnivore diet and what did you think of it at first? Um, So it was really kind of just a matter of overlapping um, things with like recipes and stuff. The more and more I took out plants, you know, some people would uh, say that, oh, well, this you know, this specific vegetable doesn't help me. Uh, I, I dealt with chronic constipation for the longest time. And everyone, I was always told, you know, fiber, fiber, fiber. Um, I've had, had, had multiple endoscopies, colonoscopies and everything looks okay. Uh, whatever that means, but, uh, you know, fiber, fiber, fiber. So it was really frustrating to me that every time I would, you know, in, uh, include fiber or increase fiber, that my symptoms were getting worse. And so um, with that elimination approach, I found kind of carnivore slowly taking away more and more vegetables. And I honestly had never felt better and I've never been more regular. So um, I just dove head in and uh, went to, uh, to see how much, you know, over time, how my symptoms could continue to improve. And it's been nothing but smooth sailing since. Wow. So what it is about a, you know, very, very low carbohydrate diet that helps to feed the gut microbiome, because I think we're told that fiber is necessary, not only to help things move down there, which doesn't often happen from what I can tell, um, but also that it's real value is food for the microbiome. Can you tell us why that may not be true or necessary on a low carbohydrate diet? Yeah. So I think there are what, what the, the major thing that people are missing when they're saying, you know, fiber, 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 is that there are so many anti-nutrients in plants. So yes, it may diversify your microbiome by inter- by including those plant sources, um, but having a less diversified um, gut or microbiome is, is not a bad thing. And it's just been, I think, assumed that way um, because of the, you know, the push for probiotics, prebiotics. Um, and we're learning uh, that, you know, it's like 
um, I think someone once told me putting fish into a dirty fish tank, like you actually have to clean it before you reintroduce them. So in order to do that, by using the carnivore approach as that elimination approach, we're actually healing the source of the problem, the source of the symptoms. And then, um, you know, later, if you wanted to include a little bit more variety, that's fine, but you can't diversify a microbiome um, and a gut that's already has a problem. You have to, you have to fix that problem first. You have to get to the source. Mm, that was a really well-explained answer. And I really love that analogy. I think I'll definitely be stealing that one. So, <laughs> so what, I don't know who I stole it from. So whoever <laughs> it was, I give you credit. <laughs> it, it's so funny. I, I remember when I interviewed Tim, uh, Ted Naiman, um, and I was asking him like what his typical recommendations for protein was. And he said what he thought it was, which is like one gram per pound, a body weight or ideal body weight. And I sat there uh -huh. like nodding to myself, like, wow, that's a really smart answer. That's totally what I recommend for people re and not realizing that I had stolen that from him years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Idiot. I know there, there is a lot of overlap for sure. <laughs> uh, that's great. Okay. So what other things surprised you with carnivore, not only for yourself, but for the people you were working with and putting them on carnivore diets? Um, the biggest things that I see improvements are really in energy and mood. So um, I think that, you know, we talk about the gut and many people can relate to digestive issues or even the, the addictive properties of, of grains and sugars and those types of things. Um, but I, I don't think uh, there's enough attention that's put on the gut brain connection and how it can, by healing the gut, you can also heal the brain and, you know, increase your mood, increase your energy, increase, you know, people talk about mental clarity with a low carb keto diet. Um, but even, even people who are struggling with mental illnesses, I've seen so much uh, progress in these people with a carnivore approach. And um, I hope that more and more people um, are made aware of it. You know, we're trying to spread this word, uh, not only for digestive issues, but also for mental health. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That was the thing that surprised me the most was mood. I would always consider myself a pretty optimistic person, but when I went fully carnivore, yeah. that just upregulated. My gratitude went up. My, I feel like my spirituality went up. My ability yeah. to deal with stress was so vastly different. That really surprised me. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. Just even being in tune with um, more of your body and what feels good, what, you know, uh, if you feel off at all and in the sense of, of, of your mood. That is so much more clear. Um, I've seen in clients, uh, who have, who are fully adapted on a carnivore approach. Yeah. That's awesome. It, you just wrote a blog post about satiety, which I really love. I love talking about satiety and yes. I try to talk about it as being different than fullness, fullness being yes. like, okay, I ate a meal. I'm pretty full. You know, I, I really am not that interested in eating, but a fullness that can also provide, you know, a deep hunger in two or three hours. I would think like, you know, eating a chicken salad or something like that with a light dressing, like you could get full off of that meal, but you're going to be very, Absolutely. very hungry in, in a few hours. Trust me. Um, the cool thing about a carnivore diet is you're focusing on obviously the proteins and the fats and you become mm -hmm. satiated, which means like you're, you just don't care for food anymore. Can you tell us right. what, what are some of the more satiating foods on carnivore and people, what, what people should focus on the most? Yeah, so I, I completely understand just in the sense, uh, and I hope other other people can understand with that um, blog post that, yeah, satiety versus fullness, these are very different things. Um, you know, many people, you can, you can extend, and there's different types of satiety and just in the sense of, um, you know, 
like volume versus, you know, a mental satiety of, yes, I, I feel satiated. I'm not thinking about food any longer. You can be completely in full, but still be thinking about food. So there's a very big difference in those two concepts. Um, I think for carnivore, really the, the biggest uh, contributor that I see as far as um, satiation is making sure that you are getting enough fat because protein can actually continue to drive that hunger. Um, if it is a very lean cut, um, not only for reasons of leaner cuts are less calorically dense, but also just that you're not supporting those hunger hormones, um, that leptin to kind of shut to, to signal and, and shut down that, uh, need to continue to eat. Uh, as we know, the fat is really the backbone of our hormones. So I think that the biggest contributor is um, making sure that you're getting a good balance. And, you know, many people, everybody's favorite, of course, is everyone talks about ribeyes, ribeyes, ribeyes. And it, it is because, you know, it is a, more of a one-to-one ratio of fat to protein, which is um, is much higher as compared to even things like 90-10, like ground beef and uh, things of those nature. So, uh yeah, I think fat is is a lever and it really should be used appropriately. We can't fear fat as we all know in this carnivore community that we've done so for many years based on what they've been telling us. Yeah. And you mentioned fat as a lever. Does that make it difficult to make an exact recommendation of how much fat somebody should be getting? I mean, should should we just be focusing on that one-to-one ratio with protein like you mentioned? Yeah, I think um, for many people and clients that I've worked with, actually bringing that fat a little bit higher I, is is generally what we end up doing. But I think starting with at least one to one, that's a very broad you know generalization to start with. Okay, gotcha. So I wanted to talk about satiety to lead us into fasting, because I think yeah. this just kind of naturally happens when people are really satiated. They don't really need to eat as many meals during the day, and they just kind of naturally start fasting. They're just not that hungry. And if you're not that hungry, you can go out and do other things or work or enjoy nature or something, you know? And so I I find that these two things really match up with each other. Somebody doing carnivore and somebody starting fasting. Is that something you've noticed as well? Absolutely. Many people will turn to um, even just two meals a day and very naturally get into kind of like a 16-8 intermittent fasting routine, uh, because protein and fat are so satiating. Um, so it does happen over time, you know, that there is that adaptation period, which I, I say, you know, for the first three months, I really, even six months, I really like clients to eat intuitively, which I, you know, that word always sends lightning bolts down my spine, uh, because it's just, uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot more to intuitive eating than just, you know, eat when, when you're hungry and stop when you're full. There's a lot of mental struggles that I've seen in clients, um, that contribute to that. And so it's, it's very, it really isn't easy, but when you are starting that, uh, carnivore approach in, in the sense of changing from glucose, a, a glucose fueled state to a fat fueled state, uh, there's no doubt that you will last much longer between meals, uh, because of that, uh, that quality of food that you're getting in the fat and the protein. Okay. Gotcha. So what is your definition of fasting? How, how would you explain it to somebody? Fasting is not eating or drinking. Um, and so, uh, some people, you know, they allow the coffee, the tea, um, you know, water, there's dry fasting, there's, um, 
uh, intermittent fasting, there's extended fasts. So, you know, just refraining from eating or drinking in a set period of time. Um, I think intermittent fasting is really the most popular that we see. And that just uh, comes, like I said, pretty naturally with, um, with the carnivore diet. Um, extended fasts is where it gets a little sticky and people are, are just, um, they're not talking about the downsides or the cons as much as they are the pros. And I really think it's an important discussion because, um, the focus becomes weight loss instead of health. And, um, those are two very different things. Yeah. And I'm so glad you're willing to have that conversation with us today and talk about the pros and cons. Um, so intermittent fasting to you would just be intermittent throughout one day, like in a 24 hour period. Yes. I think, uh, extended fasting for me is kind of like 24 and above. Okay. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Okay. So let's talk about some of the pros of fasting. What are, what you mentioned weight loss. Why don't we start there? How, how does fasting facilitate weight loss? Yeah. So the most common, uh, or most, um, yeah, most common reason that, uh, that it has been focused on, uh, weight loss has been focused on is, uh, in relation to intermittent fasting or fasting in general is because you are eating less. Um, so you are, it naturally puts you into this caloric deficit. Um, does that mean that you, you know, when you finally do eat that you can't make up for that, you most definitely can, uh, make up for that caloric deficit and then continue to maintain. But, uh, there is kind of this struggle and, and it depends on the amount of time that you are fasting for, or that eating window that you are allowing yourself, how much, um, you feel comfortable, uh, in terms of getting in those calories. So, it is easier to achieve a caloric deficit with fasting. And therefore the, the focus has been, you know, a caloric deficit is necessary for weight loss. If you do fasting, you will achieve the weight loss. Gotcha. Did you notice any, any metabolic effects with people that are doing fasting? I was fortunate enough to use a metabolic cart for a better part of my career and measuring resting metabolic rate on people who did fasting, especially in the last few years has been really interesting to see, you know, how their metabolisms respond to fasting versus doing a, you know, calorie deficient diet on purpose. Is that something you've noticed? Yeah. So, um, it really depends on the amount or the, um, the size of the caloric deficit uh, is what I've seen in clients. And they've done some studies, um, like you said, as far as just being in, a, in a, um, a little bit of a caloric deficit, like on a more consistent basis versus, you know, very large caloric deficits um, intermittently with, with fasting, like doing extended fasts. Uh, I think that uh, for me, my approach to clients is, you know, going slow and steady and being consistent because what I have seen, which is part of the thing that many people don't talk about is this kind of heightened dopamine response to food with extended fasting. Like, yes, you can, you can, um, make it so that your weekly average of, of calories is less by doing an extended fast for two or three days. Uh, but then your response to that food or even anticipating that food um, is becomes that much more heightened. And that is related to neurotransmitters, particularly dopamine. So um, I've seen people who have done, you know, extended fasting, whether it's um, every other day or once a week, or even a couple times a month, uh, that they 
it ends up leading to disordered eating uh, because then it's kind of this fixation on this food and when's going to be their next meal. It's almost like the brain goes into this survival mode. Uh, so I prefer, you know, kind of slow and steady and doing that slower over time because um, it's just, it, it causes more mental havoc as far as the physiology and what you're alluding to, as far as metabolic rate. Um, I've also seen with larger deficits, the body is goes into kind of that survival mode of, all right, let's slow everything down in order to make sure that everything is still fully functioning. Um, and so I've seen decreased, I haven't, um, as far as testing individual clients, I have not done so, but, um, is as far as where they're depositing, if they're, uh, their weight, if they are gaining weight when they're then increasing calories, uh, it is more visceral fat. So it's kind of this protective mechanism of the body depositing fat over the organs, over our, uh, our belly, right under our belly button, um, as a, a mechanism to protect itself. So I would argue that, yeah, the, um, the metabolic rate decreases with such large deficits. Yeah. Interesting. What well, this is not a clinical trial, um, or anything. It was just anecdotally what I would notice if somebody would do a purposeful caloric deficit type of a diet where they were eating frequent meals, but they were eating a lot, you know, less they were eating, you know, carrots and spinach or whatever during the day, they would absolutely mm -hmm. drop their metabolic rate. We could see that they would yeah. be burning hundreds of calories less than they would if, if, you know, they were eating a little bit more. And for people that yeah. were doing some type of fasting, even if it wasn't like extended fasting, but they were, you know, only having two meals a day, I would notice generally speaking, their metabolisms would be a lot higher. And I was wondering if it was just like maybe an, a, an insulin sensitivity response where the body was starting to free up its own fat sources to be used as energy. And we certainly noticed that people yeah. could lose a lot of weight and a lot of fat through fasting, um, as mm -hmm. long as they were really smart about it. So anyway, just very, very yeah, no, I, I very often, I mean, I, I initially get a, I will have clients, um, actually track their eating. And I would say nine out of 10 times they're under eating as, and I will increase their amounts. And it's, it's very scary, uh, particularly, you know, for women, they're, they're terrified of gaining weight, which I completely can understand. Um, but I, I mean, just recently had a client, we increased the amounts of food that she was eating. She was of course, terrified of gaining weight. She lost four pounds within the first Week. And she's been carnivore for a long time, um, actually uh, almost two years. So it's not that she went from standard American to carnivore and, you know, lost some water weight. Uh, so I would completely agree that your body, once it's given the right fuel, it ramps up and, and use, utilizes it, learns to utilize it efficiently. And as we know also that protein um, has this thermogenic resp um, response as far as um, our ability to metabolize it. And we're actually burning more than we would like the carrots and spinach. So, um, I think there's many different factors that contribute to metabolic rate. Uh, but we can't fear, you know, properly fueling our body with the right amounts. Um, yes, fasting can be used as a tool, but it shouldn't just be equated to weight loss. Yeah. Gotcha. That was very well explained. Another benefit or a pro of fasting that you mentioned is autophagy. Can you tell our listeners what autophagy is and why that can be beneficial? Yeah. So autophagy, um, it's really the recycling of kind of the recycling process of the body and, um, your, your body goes into a state where you are essentially recycling, you know, proteins and getting rid of the junk, um, is would be the easiest way to explain it, uh, which is, is very, very beneficial. 
But do I think that, you know, there's, there are time points where that is maximized and kind of cuts off. And we don't, like I said, you know, you don't need to be doing, autophagy is happening at a level, um, even if you're doing, you know, even a 12 hour fast. Uh, so it's not just this all or nothing. I think that is kind of, and carnivore as a community is full of kind of this, this all or nothing mentality. So we, we have to um, also avoid that in how we look at uh, fasting because autophagy is uh, that benefit. It's not all or nothing. It's happening at, at some level. Um, it just, to what degree depends on the amount of time, but more isn't necessarily better. <laughs> that totally guilty of that. <laughs> I am absolutely <laughs> totally guilty all or nothing. Um, yes, no, I, I can relate for sure. There's definitely some like interesting stories. You mentioned that recycling. I've, I've heard stories of, you know, cancer cells or, or tumors kind of disappearing or, uh, you know, I've heard of surgeries not going that well or things being left inside of people that, that ends up like going away, like really interesting mm -hmm. things that again, that are all anecdote. The one I think I noticed the most is it happens in the skin when somebody loses a tremendous amount of weight um, you know, normally they have a lot of skin left over and it sure seems like yeah. when people lose weight this way, I notice that their skin is, is kind of tightening along with them. Is that something you've noticed as well? Yeah. So another reason, you know, all, all the more, um, when you are in a very large caloric deficit, um, you can most definitely lose weight very quickly, but the ability for your, um, skin to kind of bounce back the elasticity in that skin, um, will vary. So, the one of the benefits of kind of slow and steady with um, uh, fasting, even intermittent fasting, is that autophagy is happening at a cellular level. It's a recycling of cellular components. Um, and so skin is most definitely included in that. Um, and I, I would agree. I've seen that people who do it slowly over time or incorporate it intermittently, um, yeah, there's, there's less of that sagging. Um, more time for the body to kind of bounce back and their skin, um, you know, they may be avoiding a surgery for um, extra skin. Interesting. Okay. So before we move on to some of the cons or things to watch out for with fasting, are there any other pros that you want to talk about of why fasting can be a really important tool? Yeah. So um, in, even in a low carb um, uh, approach, not necessarily carnivore, really fasting. Um, and if, anyone has not yet heard of Dr. Jason Fung, he talks about this. He works with a lot of diabetic um, clients. He has a complete guide to intermittent fasting, uh, which is a great book. Uh, and I think he came out with another one as well. Um, so the, the major um, thing is really to improve insulin resistance. Um, that's a, a, a major pro of fasting. And again, it's kind of bringing, um, getting you away from those highs and lows of, um, glucose spikes. So, which is already happening with a, um, low carb ketogenic approach, uh, by eliminating grains, eliminating those sugars, but by fasting, you can better stabilize, um, your glucose levels. So again, avoiding those spikes, avoiding those, uh, I'm getting hangry. I need to eat right now. And that again is reversing that insulin resistance over time. So people are becoming uh, more insulin sensitive. So also a major pro of fasting. Gotcha. If a listener maybe didn't know insulin resistance versus insulin sensitivity, is there a really kind of basic, simple way to explain what happens to cause insulin resistance? 
Yeah, it's really, um, so it's kind of like, let me see. This is a doozy of a question. I just threw a really tough question. Yeah, no, the easiest way to, if you think about it, just in the sense of sugar. So you're throwing sugar at your body so often that insulin has to be pumped out in order to bring that sugar down. And over time, like your body kind of says like, man, oh man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm over it. Like I'm, I'm not going to be responding as well to the insulin that mechanism. Let's say you have like a total sugar bomb. Like you have a piece of cake, your sugar spikes, um, your body normally would produce insulin in order to combat that high sugar level and bring that sugar level down. When you do that repeatedly over and over and over, it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. Where it's like, yeah, okay, another one. And then your body is no longer responding to that insulin as it would have the first time. Is that an easy way to explain yeah, it? Yeah, that's not great. Sure. No, but, that was great. And so the problem with that is then bio, on a biochemical level, your body is not um, working as properly. And that's where the inflammation is arising from. Gotcha. So this this focus on you know anti-inflammation is uh, anti-inflammatory approach to diet yeah, that's really kind of the the source of it all. Gotcha. So when we're eliminating those sugars all the time, that then improves the the sensitivity. We regain that sensitivity to insulin over we time. We regain that sensitivity and we regain that metabolic flexibility, which is another term that many people throw around. Um, you want to be metabolically flexible. You want your body to be able to respond um, well over time, despite whether it's fat, whether it's sugar, whether it's it's protein, you know, so, um, that it's, it doesn't get kind of used to those things and then not work as, um, optimally. Yeah. Gotcha. So where somebody was eating, if they were eating like a very heavy carbohydrate based diet, they would be burning all carbohydrates, mostly carbohydrates most of the time. And they would not have the ability to burn their own body fat that they've stored previously. Right. Right. We kind of want to go in and out of that, that ketogenic state. Um, it's not, you don't have to be in ketosis at all times, but the, the main goal is really to make sure that your body is metabolically flexible. Gotcha. Okay. That was very well explained. Okay. So let's talk about some more of the cons with fasting. What, are, yeah. what is the shadow side to fasting? You, you listed so many good and wonderful benefits and it is very, right. very difficult for, for somebody, you know, like me, like, like you were describing, like somebody who's all a nun, like, okay, a little bit of fasting is good. Maybe a little bit more is great, but you know, taking it too far is, is not, it's not just better for you, you know? Right. No, more is that definitely not better. Um, and I, this really comes down to the biggest con is the response of our hormones. So, you know, even people, uh, women who are scheduling this fasting, you know, I'm going to do it this day and this day. And I get it. A routine and structure is great, but sometimes you um, know all the time you should listen to your body. Um, And so the biggest thing that I, the biggest problem I see with it is hormone dysregulation, which can come with a slew of symptoms that people aren't even aware of. I mean, you start out by talking about one hormone, which is since fasting is a stressful state of being the cortisol. And that just makes me think like what's happening at the level of the thyroid. Can you explain what's going on there? Yes. So, um, the thyroid will really be the one, um, the, uh, as far as hormones, that will kind of shut down, uh, most quickly, uh, as well as sex hormones. Um, you know, if, if a woman is, um, uh, fasting far too often, I mean, they, their body will not be prepared to, for example, uh, 
have a child. So they may lose their period. Um, the increased level of cortisol. I mean, cortisol is increased whether you're going for a run, um, you know, you're doing sauna, you're doing a cold plunge. Uh, cortisol is not in uh, not all bad, um, so to speak. But when you're doing it too often and you have this, it's almost like you get a new new level of baseline cortisol uh, that your body becomes accustomed to. And uh, that can really cause some pretty significant symptoms. Interesting. So I have the list of symptoms here and a lot of them look like they're also, you know, kind of brain related. So I see anxiety, I see depression, I see brain fog. Um, Can you explain some of the mechanisms behind, you know, too much, too much fasting equals too much cortisol and having those specific symptoms being dysregulated? Yeah. So I think with increases in cortisol, um, you are, it really comes down to uh, your autonomic nervous system, which is kind of your fight or flight. And so you, you are that autonomic nervous system is heightened as compared to your parasympathetic uh, uh, nervous system, which is kind of your rest and digest. And so um, it is this, heightened response of the autonomic nervous system that puts you in fight or flight and says to the body, what are the most essential things that um, you need? Like if you were running from a tiger, um, what would be necessary for you to do so? And what isn't as important and what can be put to the wayside? Uh, And so you will see, you know, increased levels of anxiety, um, you know, not being, you're feeling very wired, um, but you're also, you know, could be border like underlyingly exhausted. Um, it will increase your need for. Uh, it can increase even your appetite. Um, you're constantly thinking about food. So uh, there are physical symptoms, and then there are mental symptoms. Uh, and uh, it really comes down to the mechanism is related to the autonomic nervous system. Gotcha. It's so amazing what the body can do. How it can really prioritize what's the most important right now and what yeah. it can sacrifice to, to be able to deal with that most important thing. And then, and then come back hopefully and address the thing that it, you know, it, it sacrificed for the short-term good that could potentially cause long-term harm. Yes, absolutely. No, it really does. That's what it comes down to is prioritizing, mm-hmm. uh, what is necessary now and what can we, what can, you know, for example, the sex hormones. And if you are in a stressful state, you know, being able to, um, I, I work with a lot of clients, um, on fertility issues. And, um, if your body itself does not feel safe, you know, to carry a child, um, it will not prioritize that. Gotcha. Yeah. Very well explained. Okay. So this one blew my mind and it made a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm just going to read it from your blog. Ever notice how the food you break your fast with seems to be the best meal you've ever had. And as soon as I read that, yeah. I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah, totally. This is something yeah. you've already talked about in this interview, but I wonder if we could go in depth in this heightened dopamine response to food. Yeah, no, it, it is. Um, I mean, I mean, many people, even just, um, I, there's a couple, um, articles that I read on, um, dopamine and, uh, with relation to food and even just the anticipation of, okay, I'm going to be eating it this time. And you start thinking about it, the dopamine, um, in your body, that level is going up. So it's not just when that food hits your mouth, uh, it's even the anticipation and dopamine is this pleasure chemical. It's very much associated with addiction. Um, and so, you know, the, there's a lot of talk about feasting and fasting and, um, 
for weight loss, I most definitely would not recommend it, but it's, it's this focus on eating a lot, uh, feasting and then fasting to kind of make up for it. Uh, and it really wreaks havoc on this dopamine system that I've, I've witnessed in, in my clients. Um, it is a reward system. And so it's kind of like, like gambling, like alcohol, like drugs, um, food becomes that, that addiction. And, um, I've seen a lot of disordered eating habits that have come out, come out of that, that approach. Yeah. I was just thinking about disordered eating. I'm sure this would be really complicated with somebody who had a history of eating disorders as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, I think slow and steady and just being more consistent over time is really, um, the, the better approach, uh, especially in someone who has a history of disordered eating. Interesting. When I was doing heavy OMAD for quite a while, I noticed that it was almost like physically difficult for me to eat. Like I would mm-hmm. kind of feel hungry around noon, but I would push it to five. And it was like, I, again, I felt hungry, but it was, it was almost like it was like physically difficult for me to eat. And it was easier for me to just go on a walk and let the hunger pass. And I realized I probably yeah. was doing myself a disservice. Could that be related to that as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for some, um, because that addiction, um, it, or it be, the food becomes an addiction, um, with, with that, uh, it is easier to, for many people, they will say, well, it's easier to just avoid eating altogether as opposed to having to deal with that increased level of dopamine and then kind of tuning into what your body actually wants, you know, physical hunger versus that, um, just pleasure that you're getting from food. So with the heightened, um, uh, dopamine response and that heightened pleasure from food, it's almost like getting your next hit. Uh, so I would definitely argue that that can set you up for this, uh, you know, you're questioning in your mind, like, well, I could just honestly go another day without eating. It would be fine. It would be easier to do that than to deal with like the mental struggle of, Ooh, this, this food tastes really good. I'm going to keep eating. And then you get into that cycle of kind of binging, restricting or feasting and fasting, but it really is binging and then restricting, uh, in real terms. Yeah. You also mentioned the risk of losing muscle mass over time. Yeah. And you've already talked about how the body will prioritize what it needs to right now. And muscle Absolutely. building muscle is such an expensive process for the body. Can you talk about why muscle is so important and how fasting can jeopardize that? Yeah. So, um, when your body is, um, especially for people who are very lean, uh, when your body is prioritizing energy, um, it is not an all or nothing like, Oh, it's only going to eat you know, eat away at the fat that I have stored. Yes, that'll, you know, we have uh, generally more fat on us. Um, And so that is, it's a more complicated process to dive into muscle and to break muscle down, but it's totally possible. It's it's not all or nothing. It it can do both. So depending on the length of the fast, um, you can lose some lean muscle mass. And for anybody that is trying to gain muscle mass, or um, gain weight in general, I most definitely would not recommend um, extended fasting. I mean, I don't know of any bodybuilders or people in that space that are doing extended fasting. Um, even, you know, close to prep time or um, close to competition time, uh, because it really can, um, it can cause loss of, of lean muscle mass. So I think that the body is, you know, obviously would 
prioritize losing fat and tapping into fat. We generally have more of that, but um, it's not going to be an all or nothing. You will also lose some lean muscle mass, even with regular 24 hour fasting. Um, I've seen clients lose lean muscle mass. We've done regular in-body scans and it's very important. It's not something to be taken lightly. Like, you know, some people will just say, oh, well, I just, I just want to lose weight. And no, you, you want to lose fat and you want to maintain your muscle. And uh, it's not as clear cut uh, when you're just doing extended fast after extended fast, you will lose some. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying you don't want to lose weight. You want to lose fat. That is so, yes. so critical. Oh, so critical. Yes, there is a difference. There is a difference. And I, man, I miss, I miss our in-body. We used to have an in-body at the gym that we used to work at and we got to validate yeah. all of this stuff to begin with. This is the the entire reason that I got into low carbohydrate and, and carnivore to begin with yeah. is we could validate that we would get people to lose nearly a hundred percent of their calories from fat when they started to dial these things in. And it wasn't about yeah. losing weight. You don't want to lose muscle. You don't want to lose bone density and connective tissue strength and things right. like that. You want to burn fat. Right. And it's, it's so important to know that difference. Um, you know, you, if you were trying to build muscle or even to maintain, like you do have to, um, hit a certain amount of calories and then, you know, focus on, on the macros, uh, as well, but you can't build muscle, um, in a, in a deficit. Like there has to be a, a surplus. There has to be sufficient amount um, of energy in order to build those muscles. So um, yes, looking at the weight on the scale, it may very well go down. Um, but what is what are you losing? Is it muscle? Is it water? Is it fat? I can guarantee you it's not purely fat. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And, and and I would recommend for the listener, if you don't have access to a good high quality body fat scale, even simple things like taking before and after pictures or doing a yes. simple weight to height or waist to height ratio are, are very yes. simple kind of poor man's ways of, of learning whether you are burning more fat. You can certainly see it in before and after pictures. Um, Absolutely. Even just um, the amounts of, you know, visceral fat and in definition in your legs and your arms, um, you will see that over time. Uh, as far as fat loss and, and even muscle loss. So it's important just to, uh, I always encourage pictures, you know, I think once every four to six weeks, uh, is a good start. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Okay. So this has been a really awesome conversation, a really honest conversation yeah, about really enjoyed pros it. and cons. Let's, let's just like really, really generalize Again, uh -huh. I, I don't want to put people in a box, but let's, let's just really generalize the people that, that come to you that you know, what, what kind of person comes to you that you think, okay, intermittent fasting is going to work really, really well for this person. And who are the people that come to you and say they want to try intermittent fasting and you're going, ah, red flag. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, I think for intermittent fasting, it's really the people who are, and I think it happens very naturally that are coming from uh, standard American diet or even paleo. Uh, and they're really cutting out those sugars uh, and they're be, they're going to more keto or, uh, or carnivore. And I don't think it's, you know, as far as reversal of that insulin resistance, I don't think it's a bad idea, but, um, I also don't want them to get into that area where electrolytes are imbalanced or having kind of that keto, those keto flu symptoms. So initially I say, just eat as you normally would. You're, if they're doing their three meals a day, uh, which most likely being sugar, um, 
fueled they are. So I'll say, continue to do that. And then they'll more often than not, after um, a couple of weeks, we'll say, you know, I'm just not that hungry. Um, and so we'll go to two meals a day, but um, I definitely wouldn't recommend just right off the bat going to one meal a day or doing extended fasts. It really has to be worked up to as far as people that I do not think are great candidates for um, uh, fasting, particularly extended fasting are people of any type of history of disordered eating or who are just really not in tune with um, their hunger signals. You know, there is physical hunger and there is, um, you know, sensory hunger where you're just around food, you smell food, uh, and you want to eat other people are eating and you want to eat. So if, you know, they say that they, they struggle with just like knowing when they're hungry or, um, feeling, you know, just in fueling their body, uh, seeing food as fuel, and it is much more emotionally driven then that is someone I also would not recommend intermittent fasting with initially um, until we kind of work through those mental hurdles. Yeah. Gotcha. The other cool thing about fasting is it can always be tweaked. I mean, technically all of us fast, (laughs) if you're not eating right now, you are fasting. And so there's so many different approaches to fasting that just because you try one or just because you can't go, you know, 24 hours doesn't mean you can't get some of the benefit by doing it in a different way. Absolutely. I mean, I think even with um, two meals a day or one meal a day, people get stuck in this. Okay, I'm a two. I'm a TMAD. I'm an OMAD, and it's like you know that is what I do every day. And it's you know days change. Um, your schedule can change. Your hunger can change depending on what what you've eaten the day before. And um, you know your your women are their hormones are changing with their cycles where they're uh, you know those that week before or during they're needing more calories. So we really it shouldn't you shouldn't put yourself in this box or you know identify with your intermittent fasting schedule. Just as I don't like people to identify with their you know the diet that they're I'm a strict carnivore or I'm you know, it's, it's just unnecessary. It should depend on you, on the individual. Uh, and it's okay that there's some flexibility, just like you want your, your body to be metabolically flexible. You have to be meta, uh, you have to be, uh, mentally flexible in your approach because otherwise, if it's not consistent over time, you can be as strict as you want for a short period of time, but, um, the results that you're looking for, it's more about consistency than it is being strict. Yeah. I love that. I love that approach for, for, for somebody who seems to be a good candidate for fasting and they want to get started. I've noticed the same Mm -hmm. as you. I think naturally people just start eating one or two meals a day and that's, that's totally sufficient for them. Um, do you, would you tend to normally start with breakfast as the one to, um, get out of first, or is that one that naturally most people stop consuming once they start incorporating a little bit of fasting into their lives? Yes. Breakfast, definitely most commonly, especially if uh, with coffee drinkers, they'll kind of just have their coffee and then uh, have, um, you know, a, a lunch at a, maybe a little bit earlier time, like 11 or 12 uh, versus, you know, two or three. Uh, I think just shifting, even if you're just shifting your meals a little bit earlier, some people are used to the, um, you know, six, seven, eight o'clock dinner, even by bringing that up just a couple hours. Um, saying I'm, you know, I'm going to be done eating by seven, then naturally you may have your next, uh, the next day you'll have your lunch a little bit earlier. You'll be fine until dinner. 
And um, breakfast is the most common that I've seen that's eliminated. Yeah. Wow. That's very practical. I love that. Now, you are somebody that tends to focus on the quality we mentioned, um, you know, as we were talking in the very beginning about the quality of food. It seems in the carnivore world, opinions change. And some people say the quality is not as important or if, you know, all you can afford is, you know, conventional ground beef that's better for you than most mm-hmm. things, which I, I do kind of agree with, but, um, why, yeah. why is it so important for you to focus on the quality of the food, not just that it's always meat? Yeah. So I think that, you know, what you can afford, obviously that plays, um, plays a role, but then I also have to look at, you know, some people say, Oh, well, I can't afford that. And then, you know, it, when it comes to, uh, it comes to electronics or something else, you know, they're, they're spending thousands of dollars on that. So for me, I value, um, you know, food quality, uh, like more than anything. I, to me, it's, this is the, this is the fuel on a biochemical level that is making up you know, my cells, my body, and this body I want to last me. So for me, um, I would much rather spend it on, on quality food than on actual things in, in the sense of things I use, um, like electronics. Um, that is, that is me. And so that's kind of my message. If you, um, don't value food, uh, in that sense, uh, like I do, and you would rather spend your money on other things. I don't think that you are wrong by getting, you know, more conventional, um, grain finished, you know, it's, it's really up to you and what you value. But from my standpoint, just knowing on a, um, you know, just how processed foods, we look at that and we'd say, oh, well, it's cut with canola oil or soybean oil. And like, that is the, you know, what has made us sick in the sense of this processing of things. So the more natural, um, that I, like the most natural source that I can get uh, as far as food and these animals and and how they're raised is important to me. Um, but I, I agree that do, I think it's a, uh, it shouldn't be an all or nothing end all be all, uh, for other people, they will do just, they will do just fine. They will continue, you know, to, to thrive on a carnivore diet by eating, um, conventional, uh, but I getting away from process in any sense of the, uh, any sense of the word to me also includes like if those animals are eating processed uh, grains and processed food uh, that is potentially then going into my body. So I know it's a, it's a nuance that, you know, I, I, I don't think it's all or nothing. I have nothing against people who want to continue to eat grain fed. They, that they don't like the taste of grass fed. Um, But that's just the, my perspective of, of what I like and how, why I think that way. I love that. I love that you mentioned the cost thing. People would rather have big mortgages and sweet cars and, and oh, not yeah. really care and about if, their food. If it came down to like a phone or something, you know, I have to replace my iPhone tomorrow. Like, oh, they would do it. And it's, you know, that's a thousand dollars right there. So it's like, all right, we kind of gotta, we gotta see what, if, if it's not something you value fine. Um, but for me, I, I, I do for yeah. sure. I love that. And that's to say nothing of the cost of healthcare later in life when you're, you know, getting yeah. really sick and chronic diseases and all that stuff that that's not cheap either. No, 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 absolutely. Um, as part of your quality diet, you do include a lot of organ meats. Tell us why organ meats are so important. And then if you could go one step further for somebody who personally doesn't love organ meats that much, uh, mm-hmm. how can we make, how can we make organ meats more accessible? Um, 
and get more of them in our diets, even if we don't appreciate the taste? Yeah. So, um, I do really enjoy organ meats and for me, organ meats are kind of the variety of, um, my carnivore approach. Um, you know, there are of course, different cuts of, uh, beef and lamb that I love, but, uh, organ meats are, I really, they're very palatable to me. Uh, and I, I think they bring a lot of different textures to, um, the carnivore approach, which I've just always been someone who is, who needs a little bit of variety in the sense of texture. So whether you grill them or you pan sear them or you bake them, um, those textures can change depending on the organs. I think they are the most nutrient dense food, um, on the planet, liver, um, kidney, heart. I mean, you, you can't go wrong with any of these things, the amounts, you know, how much we need, of course, is often discussed and vitamin A toxicity. And, um, that's a whole nother, a whole nother discussion. But, uh, I think by including them, uh, you are doing your body good, especially for those who have been under eating for long periods of time, uh, who have been malnourished, uh, and have, are, are deficient in those, um, uh, vitamins and minerals, uh, for extended periods, they can definitely help. Um, especially, you know, vegans who have, have a lot of, um, deficiencies in B vitamins, very, very helpful for B vitamins. Uh, but as far as people who cannot, uh, really stand the taste of them, I am always an advocate for real food. So I, I will be honest, I do not support, uh, organ supplements. If anything, I would say, you know, kind of slicing it up the, and it's very inexpensive organ supplements are totally overpriced. We don't know how much is in each capsule. We don't know what you're absorbing from each of those capsules. They can say grass fed, grass finished. They can say all the buzzword, you know, quality words, but, um, essentially we have no way of, of measuring the actual, um, absorption and, um, whether or not they have, you know, uh, there's really, I don't know, companies that are doing heavy metal testing on their organ supplements. So even things like that, again, you're, you're introducing a processed form of something that you could get through real food. So my vote is for real food, whether you cut it up into even like little one ounce, um, pieces, put it in an ice cube tray, put it in one of those Monday through Friday pill things, freeze it and and take it like a pill, that is a better option than taking an organ supplement, in my opinion. Wow. I'm so glad you mentioned that about supplements. I was actually going to ask that. And and I agree with yeah. you. I think one of the best ways I've ever taken liver is freezing it overnight and then just, just throwing it down the hatch and chasing it with some water seems to be a really yeah. efficient way to do that. Yeah, no, that would be the easiest way. The other way is a lot of companies are now doing um, ground beef with organ mixes. So um, even if it's, you know, 10% organ mix, um, that's a, that's a great option as well. I think, um, us wellness meats is one of them that has that, uh, white oak pastures, I believe as well. So, uh, uh, and even if you, you don't see it where it's, uh, you're able to purchase it for a humans, they have a lot of dog food companies that are now doing that. And it is, it's just the fact that they don't have the certifications to sell it, um, as human grade, but, um, it's still the same, you know, ground beef with organs. So definitely worth looking into eatwild.com is a great source to look up even local farms where you could, uh, buy those organs and then incorporate them, um, as you wish, uh, getting them locally is, is going to be a great option. That's great. So many great options there. It's funny you mentioned dog food. I, I finally just saw vegan dog food for sale. Like, okay, oh god, come on, come on. Oh no. <laughs> 
Dog food. Insane. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> I <laughs> thought Beyond Meat was enough for uh, in grocery stores. I uh, guess not. Terrible. <laughs> tell, us, <laughs> tell us a little bit about your practice and how you work with people today. Yeah. So um, I work with clients one-on-one um, and it's really an individualized approach, taking a look at their full history, medical history, and really looking at their lifestyle. Um, it's very easy, you know, for people to kind of get into that, um, which is largely attributed to our medical system of, well, what is my problem and how, you know, do I fix it? Uh, the, what is the quickest way? And oftentimes in medicine, as we've seen, it's with a pill or a surgery. Uh, but it, we, I, my approach is looking um, at the, the root cause, looking at the source. Uh, and that largely includes someone's lifestyle. So things that they may not even be thinking about, whether it's uh, their sleep, their stress levels, um, you know, how much movement they're getting in each day, as well as obviously the diet is the, um, my primary focus, but taking it on a whole picture approach and focusing in on them as an individual, it's so, so easy to get trapped in this community in the, what's the, you know, next best thing or, oh should I be doing that? And then switching and switching all these different, um, with all these different, uh, tactics and not really going anywhere. So I work with clients, whether they're just starting out a low carb keto or carnivore approach, or they've, you know, they're a veteran and they've been on it for years, just focusing on the details of what they're still struggling with and in order to make them feel their absolute best and get to the nitty gritty. And a large part also of my practice is um, providing as a PA, I'm able to provide lab recommendations and review lab results with um, clients which is important. I think that, you know, it, it, again, it provides more data. Uh, many people in this space are, are tracking and, you know, data is important. They, they love data. So lab results are, are more data to look into, to make sure that over time that those are continuing to improve uh, and supporting the fact that you are improving your health. Wow. For you personally, what does it mean to work with people in this way versus what you were doing before in the medical community? Yeah, no, this is the most, uh, so much more, uh, gratifying. It is, it is my purpose. Um, it, it really provides, um, great satisfaction for me to help others. It's always something I've wanted to do. And, um, in the sense of health and again, even seeing with my own health journey, uh, how powerful, um, the diet is, is so important to continue to spread this word. So, um, yes, I feel much much more whole as a person in helping people in this way. I didn't really even need to ask the question. You can just hear that passion in your voice. I think that's so cool. It's so amazing. So amazing to be able to help people in a way that really fixes their issues. Uh, This has been an amazing conversation. I've I've loved deep diving into some of these topics. If you had one simple tip to leave for the listener, what would that one simple tip be? Uh, My tip would be to focus on you. Um, it, again, it's very, very easy to get trapped, um, or, you know, uh, fearful of, oh, I'm not going to reach my goal or or having this pressure on yourself of getting it done in a certain amount of time. And I think that focusing on you being consistent, investing in your own health, those are the things at the end of the day, no one cares more about your health than you do. Uh, so really focusing on you. That's a wonderful tip. Where can people go to find you and connect with you and your work and potentially work with you in the future? 
Yeah. So you can go directly on my website, qualitycarnivore.com and book an appointment. It's a free call where we discuss kind of your goals, um, what you're looking for in a coach um, and make sure that we are a good fit. And then from there, we can go ahead and schedule that initial consultation. Um, and then I have, you know, uh, plans uh, in working together. I work with clients a minimum of three months. And uh, so those services, or even if you're just looking for like lab review session, so I have a bunch of different services, which are going to be launched very, very soon on my website, outlining the details of those. Uh, But to book an appointment as soon as possible will be at qualitycarnivore.com. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, engaging with uh, the community I'm looking to continue to do an IG uh, live or Q&A every week. So you can check me, on, uh, check me out on those platforms as well. That's fantastic. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Austin Cavelli, thank you so very much for coming on oh, to our show today. thank you. This has been a great conversation. I feel like we covered so many different topics and I hope it's useful for the, the community. Oh, I know it will be. It, 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 I so appreciate you taking a really honest look at something that yes, it's good. Yes, there's pros. There can also be cons. Just be aware yes. of that and decide how to use that for yourself and for you to go out in the world, fix your own health and fix other people and then help share this message I think is wonderful. So thank you oh, so much. Thank you very much. It was such an honor. Thank you. I really, really appreciate your time. And thank you again for having me on here. It's been awesome. Absolutely. It's been an honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. It's really inspiring and amazing to see some of the reviews that we have been getting and also to receive so many messages and emails about how these episodes have improved our listeners' lives. And so thank you so very much. We are so happy to bring these episodes to you and provide them for free. And we really hope that they help you in your life. Uh, We have just passed two major milestones, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And basically, we did both of these in pretty much the exact same day. We have just passed 100,000 downloads worldwide of Boundless Body Radio, and we have just launched our 250th episode, which is absolutely amazing. Like I said, I never imagined we could reach that many people. We always want to keep you updated on things that we're doing on our website. So if you go to myboundlessbody.com, you can always see what we're up to. This month, we have a link that you can go and schedule a functional movement screen, which we do virtually over Zoom. A functional movement screen is a series of seven different movements and three different clearing tests, which is designed to find weak links in the body, such as muscle imbalances and joint stability issues. It's a really great tool for discovering inefficient movement. And even if you're not experiencing pain in certain areas, of your body. It's something that can prevent injury later on. Some muscles need to be stretched, some need to be strengthened, and we can help you create a plan around that so that you can stay healthy and continue to move well for the rest of your life. So again, you can go and schedule that at myboundlessbody.com. You will also see the other services that we offer. You can always schedule a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us to really chat about anything that you like. And remember, if you are enjoying Boundless Body Radio, please take a minute, give us a rating or review on Apple. It really helps get this passion project out to other people. And thank you again for tuning into Boundless Body Radio.